I just couldn't get it done. Nothing I did would work. I'm probably 13. My dad sends me to change a belt on a tractor. And as I was growing up, that was normal, okay? Some people at 13, some at 33 don't get those kind of assignments. But at 13, my dad had me working, and he said, I need you to go and change the belt on that tractor. I get there, and nothing works. Every wrench I tried would not work. I tried 7 sixteenths. I tried the half. I tried the 9 sixteenths. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's sizes of wrenches. One was too small. One was too large. Nothing worked. By the time my dad shows up, I am irritated. Why can't I get any wrench to work? My dad walks up, he takes one look, and he says, you're using the wrong tools. The tractor we have is from Belarus, European, and you have to use a metric wrench. I wonder, how many of you have used the wrong tools? And you kept trying, and you kept trying, but the bottom line is it just would not work until you changed the tools. Translate that to your Christian life. How many of you right now are trying to get to heaven your way. I heard someone ask the question one day, how do you know for sure if you die right now that you're going to heaven? And the person responded with, I hope so. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching today, and you would say the exact same thing. I hope so. And if you have a hope so salvation, I want to tell you, you need to change. Because hope so is not good. It's not what you need. You need a no so salvation. If I were to die right now, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Because I went from the method of works to the method of Jesus Christ by faith alone. Some of you may be here today trying to work out your salvation using the wrong tools, and as you try to do what is right, all you end up doing is what is wrong. You've got the wrong tools. Today, my objective is to talk to you about what does work and what does not work and to make sure that you know who you need to be going to for your Christianity to work. Now, with that introduction, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 7. You also have notes, uh, Romans chapter 7. Now, I'm not sure what comes to mind when you hear Romans 7. If you have not done much study on Romans 7 then probably nothing, because Romans 7 is not one of the great chapters of the Bible. Matter of fact, we would probably list it as one of the most difficult passages to study. And I'm thrilled with the opportunity to bring this message to you today on one of the most difficult chapters in all the Bible. Now, I may have captured some of your attention right now with that statement because you're wondering, why is Romans 7 so difficult? Why is this such a challenging passage? And you want to now know what is so challenging, difficult about it. For you that do know your Bibles, 
went to a Bible college, you've studied, you're probably wondering right now, wonder how he's going to unpack Romans 7. Oh, he's got a great assignment before him. Well, I'm going to tell you how we're going to unpack Romans 7. We're going to take a moment and do a little review. We're going to review the book of Romans from this study that we've been doing for quite a while now so that we can see how Romans 7, as difficult and challenging as it is, fits so beautifully into the book of Romans. Now, when you hear Romans, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? I hope the first thing that comes to your mind, here's a book that gives us our doctrine of salvation. If I want to explain salvation to you, we're going to the book of Romans. It starts off with Paul gives a little greeting. He can't wait to see him. He's hoping to see him. And then he says these words, Romans 1, 16. Most of you, I hope, already memorized Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, the theme of the entire book. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul opens up his great book to the Romans with, we're going to be saved by faith. Salvation through Jesus Christ, him alone, he paid it all. Well, why do we need salvation? Paul now moves us into chapter 1, verse 18, that's going to go through chapter 3, verse 20, and he's going to talk to us about condemnation. And here's how he starts. Romans 1, 18, the, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Wait a minute. I believe in the love of God. Well, Paul doesn't start his doctrine of salvation with the love of God. He starts it with the wrath of God. The reason we've got to have salvation is because God's wrath is being poured out on unrighteousness, ungodliness. And the question comes, well, who is that? That's all of us. Because one of the saddest verses in all the Bible, most depressing verses is Romans 3:20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. There's none righteous, no, not one. You know Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Paul wraps up his section, every person is under the wrath of God and is condemned to hell. But then we read verse 21, the very next verse. It starts a whole new section on justification. And in Romans 3, 21, he says, but now, oh, but now, hold on. I've got bad news. You're under condemnation. i got great news, best news you're ever going to hear. But now... The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for all who believe are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What does this mean? He says, I'm going to give to you my righteousness. What happens when Jesus dies? He takes all of our sin upon him. And then when he's raised from the dead, he's now able to give to us his righteousness. His righteousness, what did he ever do wrong? Nothing. Did he ever sin? Never sin. He's perfect before God. Now, God says, here's what we're going to do, Jesus. You're going to take all of their sins 
and you're going to give them your righteousness. And because of righteousness, by doing that, justification, we are declared righteous. Now I'm just as good as Jesus, and I can stand in the presence of Almighty God. That's justification. He declares us righteous. And we now have the best news ever. Why did this come? Because he loved us. But now that we're justified, is that all there is to the story? No. Now that we are no longer under the penalty of sin, he wants us to live differently and pursue holiness and righteousness. We're no longer to continue to live in sin. And so now we move to the third section of Romans, sanctification. So for the first three chapters, basically I've got condemnation. From the middle of chapter 3 to the end of chapter 5, I've got justification. And now I'm into sanctification. You and I are living in chapter 6, 7, and 8. This is our Christian life now. If you are saved, if you're not saved, you're still in chapter 1. You need to get into chapter 3 and accept him. Now that we're saved, listen, there's this great verse in chapter 6 that you just got to know. Now that we're saved, he says this, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, bondservants, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Wow! We've been set free. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin. One day we're going to be set free from the presence of sin. Listen, we've been set free to no longer practice sin. We've been set free to pursue what we could not do. We can now pursue living a life of righteousness and holiness. Now, when you see the word sanctification, sanctification means the process to be set apart from sin. The process to be set apart from sin. Okay? We're getting sent out. It's a process. Justification, positionally, I am saved. Boom. Done. I am saved. Over here, sanctification, I am being saved. One day, glorification, I will be saved. But right now, I'm a Christian, I am being saved. That's a process. Now, positionally, I can tell you, if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. I am saved. But now, my salvation is being worked out. I am now to become more like Christ. How does all this work? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but the Apostle Paul when he teaches, likes to ask questions and then answer the question. So when we get to Romans 6, verse 1, he starts off with a question. He's been teaching about grace, and there's some questions that people have about grace, and they say this, and so Paul writes down what they're asking. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. And Rick comes along and he's preaching this and he says from J.B. Phillips, ha, oh, what a ghastly thought to think that we would be saved and still sinning because of grace so more grace can be shown. That is horrible. Wrong. Don't do that. Don't think that way. And then Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm looking at this verse, my attention is on that first part because I'm still trying to battle people telling me I can get grace. If I sin, I get more grace. So we spend a lot of time there. But folks, listen, pay attention. Don't miss this. <laughs> the big statement the big statement is, how can we 
who died to sin still live in it. Now that needs to be marked in your Bibles. When it comes to sin, you're dead to it. And Paul wants to know, how in the world are you who are dead to sin still living in sin? That's the question. Well, Paul, I'm trying to understand what you just asked. What do you mean we're dead to sin? So Paul gives us an illustration. And his illustration comes from baptism. So I'm going to read it for you, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And a couple weeks ago, we had baptism. The illustration right there from the baptismal pool. Rick had a t-shirt on. Buried in the likeness of his death. Person goes down. Raised to walk in newness of life. That's the picture of the Christian life. Your old nature is dead. Your new nature comes up alive. That's who you are in Jesus. He's given this picture. Okay? What a beautiful picture. I'm not dead. Are you dead? When you got baptized, did you die? When the person was baptized a couple weeks ago, did they die? No. Paul, what are you talking about? He says, okay, okay. You got you to gotta visualize and see what your old nature is. And now Paul's going to give us three words. In Romans 6, and if you got the notes, three things are showing up. He says you've got to know You've got to count, you've got to present. Three words, Romans 6. You are dead to sin. How does that work? Well, know what? Verse 6. Know that your old self was crucified. Did you, you hear me? Your old self was crucified. It's on the cross with Jesus. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look at verse 7. I underlined it on the screen. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Your old self was crucified with Jesus. You've got to see it that way. You've got to know, old self, <laughs> you're trying to tell me what to do. You're dead. You got crucified. Uh, still not sure I'm getting this. Paul, Paul says, okay, all right, all right, let's do something else. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 11, I want you to count. Um, count. Consider you that are my age. See how I did that? You that are my age. I bet you know there's a different word. That word is reckon. Reckon. The idea of reckoning is that you put it in an accounting term and you say, here's what you need to know, old nature. You are dead to sin and now you are alive to Christ. The old nature hasn't been renewed, removed, but the old nature does not have any ability and it doesn't have any authority because you have counted it to be dead. But there's more. Paul says, I need you to present. Present what? Well, verse 12 says, let not sin reign in your mortal bodies that to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been bought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. And, and Rick comes along, and, and he says, you're a bondservant. 
You're presenting yourself not to the master of sin. You're now to the master of the Savior. He's your master. You're presenting yourself and saying, I'm going to now live for righteousness. You present yourself. It's a whole different concept. How can this be? How can I truly have victory over sin? Paul comes along and he says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now, verse 14. Any Bible student here knows that's got to be underlined. Because here's the key. This is that code to the combination. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. Anybody got a question? Some people just read this and they got a question. Some Jewish people just went, what? Paul, what are you talking about? Whoa, 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 wait a minute. And Paul knows they're asking a question. And so immediately he comes back and he says, okay, 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 hold on. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Here it goes again, by no means. And Rick says, what a ghastly thought. You're not under the law. You're under grace. You're not going to keep sinning. Look at, my, look, look at the screen. Look at the screen. You see what I have at the very bottom? I got question marks. Why are there question marks there? Paul has opened up, shall we say, a can of worms. He's asked, he said something, and it's, hold on a moment, and some Jewish believers are going, I got some more questions. And Paul, right now, he's not interested in answering more questions. He's all about presenting yourself to Jesus. And so he continues to teach in Romans 6, and I go back to Rick, you're going to say, Master, Jesus, I'm your bondservant. And he finishes up this chapter, and remember how he's finished it up? I've already shown you this great verse, verse 22. He says, he, he, he says, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And i got to believe a bunch of you already know what Romans 6.23 says. He just quickly inserts that. It's beautiful for the wages of sin is death. But the, come on, gift of God is eternal life. And he's wrapped up chapter 6. And woo, what a chapter. We can be victorious over sin. We're dead to sin. And he's ready to go to the next great chapter, Romans 8. He's got more information on how we can be victorious over sin. But there are some people with their hands up. You ever been there? Someone's talking, and all of a sudden you hear something that really grabs your. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? What, what, what did you just. And you, but they don't stop talking. But the moment there is that slightest hint that they pause. Hey, what about. Paul knows he's got Jewish believers who are starting to scream about Romans 6, 14. There are lingering questions. They want to know, what do you mean we are not under the law? I mean, that's what the Jews are all about, right? Now they're Christians. What do you mean? So Paul is going to pause, and he's going to address what he just said about you're not under the law. And if I could sum up Romans 7 with just a short answer, Paul is answering the question, 
what does it mean that you're not under the law? What does that mean? And for you and I sitting here, we're kind of struggling because we don't understand why these Jews want to know this, but they have been living under the law, and he just told them they're not living under the law. That's how you get victory over sin. What? So now we go to Romans 7. He's taking a pause. Oh, to get to Romans 8. But he's got to go to 7. He's got to, are you ready? Answer some questions about the law. What's the role of the law? What's the role of the law? So here we go, Romans 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, Okay, he did use the word brothers, so you can't check out on me. Now, I think we're probably at 99.9% here, if I'm not mistaken. We're Gentiles. And for you that were with me in Israel this past time, over and over we were being told about what we were like as Gentiles because we had a Jewish guide. So the Jews think differently. Notice what he says, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So Romans 7 really is being addressed to Jews, Jewish believers. But he did say brothers, so you got to pay attention. So he's going to answer some questions that Jewish believers have about the law. And he says, I got a question. I know you know your law, so let me ask you a question. The law, that law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. They're thinking, oh, okay. let me give you an illustration. So he drops an illustration out there. He says, I'm going to give you an illustration about marriage. Let's go to the law. What does the law say about marriage? And he writes this in chapter 7, verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband, while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the marriage of law. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So, I die. Physically, Danita gets this horrible grief because she's going to be in mourning for days, months, years. She's lost her soulmate. How soon will she remarry? Can she remarry? Well, you know, the moment I die, she can remarry. Because she took me at a wedding altar until, anybody finish? Until death do we, okay. I'm going to heaven, she's still here, she's going to marry another man. Can she do that? Yes. But if my wife right now is sleeping with another man, she's committing adultery. That's the illustration that Paul is giving here, okay? Now Paul says, let me explain what I just told you. Look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. What's your relationship to the law? You're dead to it. You're dead to the law, just like if I had died, the need is no longer under the law of being married to me, because I'm dead. Why? That you may be married to another, to him who is raised from the dead. Oh, by the way, I inserted that just in case you didn't know who it was. You're married to Jesus Christ. You can't be married to the law and to Jesus. You're now able to be married to Jesus that we should bear fruit to God. He's given an illustration of what it's like in relationship to the law. Jewish people, 
You're dead to it. We're dead to the law. Then he says this. Why are we being dead to the law? For while you were living in the flesh, your sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit of for for death. Uh Uh-oh. Now you're going to have to focus now. We just learned something about the law. What does the law do? It doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you sanctified. It doesn't make you good. The law arouses sinful passions. Finish the sentence. Rules are made to be, say it louder. Okay. In us, our sinful nature, when it sees a law, it wants to break it. More on that in just a moment. Let's come back to the illustration. Let's go to verse 6. Verse 6, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we may serve the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Now, let's break verse 6 down. Verse 6 is massive, so important to what we're doing here today. But now, oh, 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 but now. There it is the third time in the book of Romans, but now. And each time we come across but now, it's a massive transition. We were under condemnation, verse 321, but now we can be saved. But now we're going to live in sin. But now we're not going to have to live in sin. We've been set free, Romans 6.22. But now we've been released from the law. Why? Why, Paul, are we released from the law? Because, so that, see the two words, so that, he's being very teaching here now, okay? He's going to tell you the reason why. So that we serve in a new way the spirit of, the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. Paul, why did I have to die to the law? So you can be married to Jesus. Yes, we're the bride of Christ. I'm married to Jesus, and, ooh, tingling, Romans 8, we're now being led in a new way by the Spirit. He's introducing chapter 8. He's introducing us to the Spirit. He wants to get there. This is who we are. It's not putting new wine in old wineskin. The old wineskin has to be put aside, and now we've got new wineskins. It's a new way. You can't Overlook that, folks. It's a new way. We're not living under the law. The law doesn't work. You are dead to the law. So you can be married to Jesus and be filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Not by the law, but by the Spirit of God. (sighs) Paul Oh, Paul, he knows there's more questions coming, and there are. Verse 7, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Rick, what a, what a ghastly thought. The law is not sin, but it sounds like it is. No, the law is not sin. Matter of fact, matter of fact, Paul says, yet, look at that, yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. How do you know you've sinned? Because of the law. He says, for for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The law is going to help us know what God's standards are, and how we have missed the mark. It reveals what sin is. And he goes on and says, but sin, seizing an opportunity, like a military outbase, it seizes opportunity through the commandment, produces in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. But now that I've got this law, and I know, again, rules were made to be 
My old nature sees a law and it says, not going to do that, not going to obey it, I'm going to break it. The law is bringing out a desire to do sin. Not that the law is sin, but it's caused by old nature who is so rebellious, so against God to say, we're going to break this. Look what he says, verse 9. For I once was alive apart from the law. The idea was I didn't have much guilt because I didn't know what I was doing wrong. But the more I learned the law, sin came alive and I died. I thought I loved people well until I read 1 Corinthians 13. I literally have preached 1 Corinthians 13 with this introduction. I don't want to do this today because I'm going to be convicted. Because when I start studying what the real thing is, I see how far I've fallen. And as I know more law, the more I realize you are a filthy sinner. You need help. And this is what Paul's going to say. He needs help. He says in verse 10, he says in verse 10, for the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seized an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. The more I get law, it's just horrible. It's not working. The law doesn't work. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's law. Jewish people are asking. They need to know. And Paul comes back and he says, all right, now hold on. The law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. He's not saying we throw away the Old Testament. He's not saying we throw away the laws. He's just saying this is not what's going to help you be saved. Matter of fact, it will not help you be saved, and it's not going to help you to live for Christ. This is not your method for finding out how to live for Christ. They got one more question. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. By no means. It was sin. Don't blame the law. Flip Wilson said, don't blame me, blame the devil. It was the devil who made me do it. Well, you've got a sin nature in you. It's not the law that sins. It's your sin nature. When it sees the law, that sin nature is so rebellious, it sins. And that sin produces death. And it does so in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And you're finding the more you go to try to have the law guide your life, the more sinful you are. You just can't seem to get it right. And now Paul gets really authentic. He says, I'll be exhibit A. I will tell you what it's like to try to live under the law. It doesn't work. Verse 14. For we, have you ever made a statement like that, Al, where you said for we, but really you just meant yourself? Well, this is what Paul does. He's not saying for we, he's saying for I. For I know, for I know the law is spiritual. I do know this, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. How how come the law can't make you holy? Because you're so sinful. You're carnal. The law can't make you holy because you are carnal. You're sinful. It goes against what you want to be. Your flesh is so strong. So he says this, but I do not understand my own actions. Some of you now will start shaking your head internally, but you know you're, you're living here. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Been there, done that? Said the wrong thing? Acted the wrong way? Ugh, that's not how I want it to be. 
verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, light bulb, <laughs> but I agree with the law that it's good. The law is revealing to me that I am sinful. I'm going to need help somewhere else. But now it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. And i got to deal with this internal old nature. And here comes verse 18. And verse 18 better have your attention. Because Paul says, for I know. By the way, 30 times now Paul is saying I. 47 times he's going to use the personal pronoun. So when I say this is Paul being authentic, this is him. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to carry, to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I want to do right. I can't. Don't raise your hand. But you've been there, haven't you? I wanted to do right by my wife. I wanted to do right by my kids. I wanted to do right by my employer. I wanted to do right by my friends. I wanted to do right, but I can't. I mess up. I sin. Oh. All right, let's get a word picture here. Al, Carl, you've seen the commercial. Rick told me not to use it. So I am. Here's the commercial. I've fallen and I. You just saw it. That's Romans 7 18. I've fallen and I can't get up. I'm sinning and I can't stop sinning. Oh. He is now being so authentic in his anguish. Oh, I can't do this. I want to do right and I can't. He goes on and he says this, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So I find that to be a law, not the law, a law, that when I want to do right, evil lies close to the door. For I delight in the law of God. I love the law. In my inner, I love the law. But, but, do you see verse 23 with the but? But I see the members of another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive of the, to the sin, law of sin that dwells in my members. All that is to say, the law is not working. I try to go to the law. It doesn't work to cause me to stop sinning. And now Paul, who has been trying to answer questions that have come up, now says something of his incredible anguish with a question. Verse 24. And I better have all of your attentions now. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? What a confession. Oh, wretched man, one virgin said, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominant, dominated by sin and death? The message says it this way, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I've been trying these tools, they don't work. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? Now pay attention. Look at the book, look, look at the screen. You got to pay attention to what he doesn't say. What does Paul not say? He doesn't say, What will deliver me from this body of death? He said, Who? 
He said, who? And this is to those Jewish believers who think the answer is found in the law. What will deliver me? The law. No, no, no. Who? It's a person. It's a person. And that person is found in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ the Lord. My answer is found not in the law, but in the Lord. There's your answer, ladies and gentlemen. You've been using the wrong tool. The right tool is Jesus Christ. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. He wraps up to the Jews. I'm telling you, what I've been doing was wrong. The right answer is Jesus. The answer to your salvation is Jesus Christ. Pam read it. It's not by works of righteousness. Works don't work. You're using the wrong tool trying to be good and work out your salvation for salvation. You can't work enough to get saved. You'll never get there. And it's not by works where we can boast. It's not of works. And it's not the, the law is not the answer for sanctification. It's Jesus. That's who we're married to. And so now comes the question. As you're trying to live out the Christian life, you want to be growing in a relationship with him. You want to get away from sin. You want to be sanctified. How? What's your motivation? Your motivation for doing what's right is not rules. To live holy, sanctified lives is not rules. It's a relationship. And if we had another hour, I could take you to passage after passage after passage where Paul writes and he says that you would live worthy, that you would walk worthy, that you would do that which is pleasing. I give you one, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul prays that you would have a walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. I pray that every day. Colossians 1.10. When I start my day, I want to walk worthy of the law. You can't do it. Who wants to please the law in the first place? No, he doesn't say the law. He says, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. My motivation for living a holy, righteous life, my aim in life is to please him. That's your motivation. Well, what's the means? How, how does this happen? How, how do we have the ability to live holy, righteous, pleasing lives? Romans 6, you got to know Romans 6. You got to know who you are. You've been crucified. You're dead. You're alive to Christ. And you now you present yourself. You got to know Romans 6. And you got to know Romans 8, which introduces us to the most powerful part of the Trinity, if you will the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Guess where he now lives? In you. The Spirit of God. Rick, I'm setting you up next Sunday. He starts talking about the Spirit of God. This is where the victory comes from. For the law, I'm just giving one, Rick. Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death. And he's going to be rolling on the Spirit of God that lives in us to gives us victory over sin. And I'll prove it with one verse. i got to give one, Rick. i got to give one. This has been a tough passage to preach. Galatians 5, 16. Paul says to the Galatians, Then I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What causes you to sin? Your lust. The things you want that God says you can't have, that's not good for you. If I'm walking in the Spirit, 
He's leading. He's guiding. Guess what you can't do? You can't sin. The Greek word shall not, English, can't have, but just like it is, Greek double negative. By no means will you ever be able to. If I'm walking in the Spirit, when the temptation comes, I said, Holy Spirit, guide me in the right way. Lead me not into the path of temptation. And he guides me away. He gives me the power to resist any temptation. That's the power of the Spirit of God in your life. And you get to learn more about that next week. What about the law? Hear me, the law doesn't save you. And the law doesn't sanctify you. Why does this matter? Because there are people using the wrong tool. If you die right now, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? I hope so. They're hoping in good works. They're hoping they can be good enough. I had a man say the other day, I'm trying to keep the commandments. Really? How's that working out for you? You can't. And the law is provoking your, in, your inner man, your old nature. It won't sanctify you. You've got to have a different motivation and you've got to have a different means. Who can I turn to for help? Let's go back to Romans 7, 18. You've got to start off with, I can't. He can I can't, he can. I can't, he can. I can't, he can. Your answer is in Jesus Christ. That's your answer. He'll save you. He'll sanctify you. It's all about a relationship for both salvation and sanctification. Have you been using the wrong tool? Let's pray. Father, this morning, trying to understand the role of the law is difficult. We know it's holy. We know it's good. It does give us what's right and what's wrong, but help us to understand our motivation for living for you can never be to please the law. It's got to be to please you. And Father, the law gives us no strength, no power, to resist the temptations. It arouses in us to do the temptation. Help us to learn how to yield to the Holy Spirit. And Father, this morning, I ask that if there's a person here today that's going about salvation the wrong way, they're listening to my voice and they're going about salvation the wrong way, point them to salvation in your Son by faith and faith alone. And this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you've said, if I died right now, I hope I'd go to heaven, you need to come see me, Pastor Rick, Pastor Harper. Uh, you, you need to come see another Christian and say, I need to get away from the hope-so religion and get to the no-so relationship.